You ever heard the expression, every contact leaves a trace? It comes from forensic science, every contact leaves a trace. I wonder when you've been out during the week doing what you do every day, I wonder what traces you picked up from other people and what traces you left. You know, about 6% of the population represented by these red dots here gather in church uh, at least once a month. That's, uh, that's the statistical average for the UK. So people of, of faith, if you like, are represented by these red dots in the corner, gathered like we are now. But during the rest of the week, people with faith like us are scattered out there in the wider world of everyday activities where we come into contact with the other 94% of the population on our everyday front line. This series is about what happens there. I don't know what your everyday looks like, but whatever it is, you will have some sort of regular pattern of activity that uh, you do, and that activity is your daily work. That's what it is. It might be in the home, it might be paid employment, it might be running your own business, it might be volunteering somewhere, uh, it might be manual work or knowledge work, it might be work that almost anybody could do, or it might be highly specialised work that requires special training or strength or ability. Maybe it's a mixture of all of those things. But whatever you do most days, that is your work. And you probably spend the majority of your waking hours doing it. Which means that your everyday work is a major part of your life. And if God is important to you, he will be important in that part of your life. What difference does God make in your everyday work on your front line? Now, I'm sure you recognize this man. He is, of course, Daniel Craig, who plays Bond, James Bond. And for Bond aficionados, the release date of the next Bond movie, No Time to Die, is the 3rd of April. Get that in your diaries. And uh, as you know, Bond, James Bond, is courageous, persevering, resourceful, decisive, patriotic, strong, agile, multi-skilled, intelligent, witty, cultured, and honest. And as one woman in a seminar I was wondering, once yelled out, and he's gorgeous, <laughs> matter of opinion. Unfortunately, Bond, James Bond, is also a misogynist pig, uh, a heartless thug, an emotional desert, and a spiritual black hole. But at least five things are always true when Bond goes out on a mission. <clears throat> Here they are. He is always briefed by M, usually. He's trained by MI6. He's resourced by the technical genius Q. He's supported by the Secret Service, and he's licensed and commissioned by the Queen and the British government. And the question I have for you is, what about you, many of us, on our daily mission to do the stuff we work at, to make our contribution, to be the best we can be, to make a positive difference in this world, are not properly briefed, trained, resourced, supported, or commissioned, whether we're gorgeous or not. It's not a topic many churches spend a lot of time talking about or looking at, which is why this man, Stott, John Stott, founded the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, or LICC for short, which has a mission to equip and empower 
people for their everyday working lives, their everyday lives, to make a positive difference wherever they are, whatever they're doing. LICC is an organisation I've personally been associated with for quite a few years as a, as a speaker and writer and latterly as a trustee. And it's also an organisation that FBC here supports in fact. And if you're interested in getting connected to LICC to get uh, resources and uh, briefing things about everyday work, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the Next Steps area which you could access. Well, I wonder how you feel about what you do every day. Uh, the poet Pam Ayres wrote a poem once about a guy who build, builds dry stone walls, and this is how it goes. I am a dry stone waller. All day I dry stone wall. Of all appalling callings, dry stone wallings, worst of all. Is that how you feel about your job or your work? You know, because some jobs have dehumanising parts to them, don't they? You know, in their mind-numbing repetition or their treatment of people like machines. Some jobs can be lonely. Others can be routinely stressful. We live in a deeply flawed and imperfect world. But for some of us, we enjoy our work. We, you know, it's a joy, it's a great fit, it's a vocation. In fact, our work is where we get our identity, our approval, and our sense of worth. In fact, we enjoy it so much that we hardly ever rest and become so devoted to our work that we, in fact, begin to worship it. We get consumed by it, and we become workaholics, which can damage our relationships. I was like that for a while, and then I repented and wrote a book called Get a Life uh, about putting work in its proper place. There's a few free copies left in the Next Steps area. But of course, for others, like the dry stone waller, daily work feels like a drudge, feels that there's painful relationships, maybe, and weariness, and necessary evil to bring in the money, even a curse. I think quite a few people feel like that sometimes, you know. Many of us are tired, we, feel, we can feel trapped in our work, we're troubled by the, by the frustrations of it, of insufficient time and resources. Work sometimes feels at best just a way to survive. Work is done through gritted teeth. And in such an imperfect world, how do we keep the right motivation for work and bring God into our everyday work. Well, if any of you are in management, you might have heard of a consultant called Simon Sinek who has what he calls the golden circle. Here it is to explain what motivates people. And in the centre of his golden circle is what he calls the why. People are motivated not so much by what they do or how they do it, but by why they do it and by who they do it for. It's the why, not so much the what, that matters. And it's the why that causes people to volunteer for things, isn't it? You know, what draws people to sacrifice their time and effort and even their money? It's a good cause. It's a, a higher purpose. It's something that injects meaning into what they're doing. That's what charities rely on. The motivation to serve a higher purpose and a greater good. There's a guy called Ken Costa who's written a book on finding your vocation, which is called Know Your Why. Because it's your why that is the key to understanding what you should focus on in life. You see, if, if why we're doing something we do every day is part of something greater, then it has more meaning, doesn't it? Two men were mixing cement on a building site 
and they were both asked what they were doing. And one of them said, I'm mixing cement. And the other one said, I am building a cathedral. Same job. You see, it was the why, it was the vision that lifted his motivation and the satisfaction in his work. The same task was revolutionized by seeing it as part of something greater. Now, you may not believe in God or Jesus or any of this stuff at church, but I can guarantee that you still need meaning in what you do. You still need a why. You need inspiration and motivation to flourish because that's hardwired into human psychology, isn't it? And I'm here today to tell you that there can be a higher purpose and a greater meaning in your everyday work. You see, the things that you do matter to God. What you do matters to God. It does. You may not feel like it does, but God is interested in you and in every part of your life. Every part. If your everyday work is a major part of your life, and it is, God is hugely interested in that. Interested in your character development as you meet the daily challenge of working. Interested in the quality of the work itself, interested in the people that you're serving through your work and the relationships that you have in the workplace. And he's interested in the difference that you can make, the positive difference that you can make to this world. Your everyday work matters to God. But you see, a lot of people think that some kinds of work matter more to God than other kinds of work. We have this holy hierarchy, you see, of workers, and at the top are people like Chris, you know, missionaries and pastors. Well, they are clearly exceptionally holy jobs, and church workers. And also, you know, doctors like Des and nurses and carers, I mean, they're also pretty holy up there in the high holy stakes. But then you get the next lot of people, most of us, teachers, parents, IT professionals, you know, they're kind of okay holy jobs, tick in the box, but then, lower down, you've got the advertising and media executives, the bankers and the politicians, who clearly are in the despised jobs, that are the bottom of the holiness ladder. This is, I mean, we laugh at this, but this is in fact how we think, isn't it? We think that some work is somehow less sacred than other work. But what if God is closer than you think to what you do, whatever you do? What if it's not a hierarchy at all? And it isn't, by the way. What if it's a question of whether we recognize the presence of God in everything? What if your car, or your home, or your building site, or your office, or your spreadsheet on your computer, or the train journey into work are all places where God dwells? You know, that introductory video we had, uh, ended early, but there was a quote on the back of it from a guy called Jacob in the Bible when he said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Finding the, the higher purpose and the greater meaning in your work is a bit like finding the, uh, the legendary philosopher's stone that turned base metals into gold. You know, that was the search of the ancient alchemists, made famous, of course, by uh, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And in everyday work, there is a kind of philosopher's stone that turns whatever you do into gold. It puts the why into what you do, something that injects the special meaning 
and purpose. This is what one of Jesus' followers, Paul, wrote in a letter to the church in Colossae in modern-day Turkey. He wrote this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do your work for God and not for people. Now, of course, you can't do that authentically if you don't believe in God. But what this is saying is that if you really want to be the best you can be, you need God. Because the finest motivation you can ever have for doing what you do every day is to serve God, is to do it for God. That is what injects ultimate meaning into your work. Incidentally, the, uh, one of the Hebrew words for, uh, for work, avodah, is the same word as the Hebrew word for worship. The same word in Hebrew is used for work and worship. Interesting, isn't it? Have you ever thought about your work as worship? Working with all your heart is what turns your work into worship when you're doing it for God. When we offer our work to God and we do our best, we worship God. But if we don't do that, we leave God out of it, we don't worship God, we end up actually worshipping our work instead. Everything we do, even the mundane, can be meaningful if we are doing it for him, if we're choosing to worship Christ through what we do. Changing your child's nappy can be an offering to God. It's redemptive work, isn't it? You know, you're taking something that's in a smelly mess and you're transforming it into something clean. I try to go swimming every week and I, I wish the pool looked like this, uh, this idyllic picture. Anyway, there's a guy there called uh, Eddie and uh, he works at the pool, he cleans the showers and the changing rooms every day. He's over 60 years old and he works in a hot and a humid atmosphere. And he's washing down the walls, he's scrubbing the floors, he's cleaning the fitments and I've noticed that he does this really thoroughly. He really takes care over it. And I spoke to him one day and I said, you know, I really appreciate what you do here. What you're doing, keeping everything clean like this, is really important. I'm very grateful. And his eyes lit up and he said, oh, well, got to do our best, haven't we? But that's just it. In jobs like that, people don't always do their best. They tend to do the minimum required. But Eddie chooses to do his best every day. And clean shower fitments are Eddie's offering to God every day. And I think God is pleased with that. You know, I heard about a cleaning lady who recently had put her trust in Jesus and she was asked what difference it made to her everyday life. And she replied, well, before I used to lift up the corner of the carpet and sweep the dust under it. And now I lift up the edge of the carpet and I sweep the dust out from under it and I clear it up. Does anybody else see that? Probably not. But she knows that God sees it and he takes pleasure in a job well done. You see, the gospel can change everything. Jesus makes us better at work and he makes our work better. There's something inspiring about a job well done, isn't there? There's something intrinsically pleasing and satisfying. Jesus was a worker, you know. 
The original Greek word describes him as a tecton or a builder, which would certainly include carpentry, but would also include building things with stone and, and other materials. And you can bet that Jesus was a good worker. Dorothy Sayers once said, no ill-fitting drawers or crooked table legs, I swear, ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. And it's not just the quality of what we do that matters. It's how we do it. And sometimes it's in the most difficult work situations that godly character is revealed. Let me tell you about a, a guy called uh, Martin who retired from a business career and five years later, his wife, Myra, received a diagnosis of posterior cortical atrophy, which is a form of Alzheimer's. All his plans of what he was planning to do had to change. He had to learn lots of new skills, especially domestic skills like cooking and washing. He had to learn to bite his tongue as well, because although Myra had always been a very gentle person, the illness made her blunt and impatient and rude. And Myra now finds it very hard to construct sentences, and it's incredibly frustrating for her because she can't do what she used to do. Her driving license has been taken away, and she's completely dependent now on, on Martin. And previously, when Martin thought about his main gifts and, and interests, being a 24 by 7 carer would not have been on his list. It would have been way down. And he recently said to God, when I got married at 22, you knew that Myra was going to get Alzheimer's at the age of 65. And he, in his heart, he felt God say, yeah, and I knew that you were the best person to care for her. So he said to God, well, if that's really the case, you're going to need to give me lots of grace because this is not a natural gifting for me. So every day he prays that God will help him to be loving and patient and kind because being a good carer involves lots of patience and kindness. Ironic, isn't it, that many of the godly character qualities that we admire so much in other people are the qualities that we do not really want to develop ourselves because they are usually developed in adversity. Nobody wants to sign up for training in patience, do they? And yet this difficult situation has opened up another kind of opportunity for Martin with the Alzheimer's Society. And he and Myra have spoken at conferences for healthcare professionals about the challenges of living with Alzheimer's. And in fact, they've even been able to share about how their faith has helped them in that. Martin says now that he gains strength and some joy from focusing on the promises in the Bible about life after death. He knows that ultimately, Myra is going to be okay. He believes what one of Jesus' followers, John, wrote in the book of Revelation, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That Myra will be in her right mind then and that she will have a healthy new body. And in the meantime, Martin's godly character is growing in his daily work of caring. And other people are noticing that. He is becoming more and more of a living testimony of the grace and the kindness of God. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, says, the greatest need today is not for more intelligent people or more gifted people, but for more deep people.
You know, that's a poignant and a challenging story, isn't it? But opportunities for modeling godly character are common for all of us in the everyday experiences that we have. The experiences perhaps of a difficult boss or a difficult customer or supplier or a difficult child or when frustrated by the system or the traffic or whatever it is that gets your goat. Your everyday work is your primary context in which you can ask God to help you. And you can trust God and allow him to develop your character if you choose to do so. Making good work and modeling godly character are two of six attributes uh, that LICC have named. uh, And they're on this little card that you've got, which I did have here, but I've lost. Here we go. Uh, This little card has got these six attributes, all, all beginning with M to help you remember them. Model godly character. Make good work, which is doing a good job ministering grace and love, moulding the culture around us, in other words, not being conformed by everything that's around us, but actually having a positive influence on that culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, speaking up for what is right, and being a messenger of the gospel. And being a messenger of the gospel is not always speaking out what you believe. Sometimes it's being the message so that people actually ask you about why your life is distinctively different, and then you can explain So some of these 6M attributes will come out in the rest of this series. Seeing our work as worship also involves us paying attention to what God says about work. And we can learn something from the creation story in Genesis. Now, you may not buy into the, to the Adam and Eve story uh, you know, of creation as literal history. I don't think that really matters hugely. But it is a story that makes some key points. And one of those points is that God gave humanity a day of rest before they did any work. They didn't start by resting from their work. They started by working from rest. And the pattern of resting every seven days to refresh before working has stayed as good practice ever since. Godly work takes place in a rhythm, you see, of rest and work. Do you you take a day off every week? Now, not everybody can, I know. I'm looking after young children. It's a a seven-day-a-week activity, isn't it? Although sometimes we can share our work with others to get some rest occasionally. But there are a lot of things we can choose to take a break from one day a week. You know, if your work involves a lot of screen time on the computer, you might be helped by having a screen-free day once a week. Well, another point that this creation story makes is that God gave work to humanity as a positive way to take care of the world. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work and take care of it, it says in that Genesis story. So God gave purpose and direction to humankind through work, and in the story of creation, God did that before anything went wrong with the world. So work itself remains intrinsically good, created by God as a way for us to find fulfillment, provide what we need, and to steward the earth. Imagine what it would be like to offer your everyday work to God. I mean, imagine how it feels to do your everyday work for God instead of your earthly boss or or just for yourself. Imagine how that might change your attitude and what you do. I think it would bring a greater sense of meaning and 
very likely draw out better quality work from us, wouldn't it? Perhaps the band would uh, come back up. Now, you may not yet believe in Jesus, but uh, imagine being able to work in an unforced rhythm of rest and work instead of the continuous intensity of the culture around you. Imagine the peace of knowing God's acceptance and approval and not having to keep driving yourself to earn approval. Imagine the greater sense of well-being. Imagine asking God for help when difficulties arise and perhaps being surprised at an answer to prayer. God is courteous, you know. He doesn't force his way into your life and work. He waits to be invited. And if you're responsible for other people at work, imagine how you might help your people take the right opportunities for rest and make their work more holistic and fulfilling. If we commit our work to God and we see our everyday workplaces as an integral part of our life of faith, if we pray at work, we will make a difference for God. Even in the difficult and the draining situations, you can receive the greater sense of meaning that offering your work to God brings. You might have heard that expression, uh, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. I think a lot of people feel like that in their workplaces. The grass is greener on the other side. We can sometimes feel like that about what we do. Well, the grass is actually greener where you water it. And a changed attitude of bringing God into our work is how you water the grass and you make it greener. You can pray, God, on this day, here, on this task, on these people, and in my heart, let your good spirit and purpose prevail. Lord, for your glory, be glorified through me in this work. And maybe hear God's inner response in your heart. Come, my child, let's get on with our day. So as Jesus once said, let your light so shine before people that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If God has touched you and left a trace, and every contact leaves a trace, what traces will you be leaving amongst the people that you mix with this week? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for your presence with us in everyday life and work. And we bring to you all our challenges, our difficulties, our tiredness, our anxieties, and our frustrations. Strengthen us and give us more of your spirit to live your life in our places of work. We offer you what we do. We invite you in with us and we pray for your inspiration to make a positive difference wherever we are. And we worship you in our hearts and through doing our work for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.